0: I think one of the best things is this is truly an area where people can get involved early. You know, we are still in the very early stages of what blockchain is, and you could never even just sit for 24 hours. We could talk all day about the different applications, everything going on, and it's just such an emerging space. There's always new things going on. And I think it's just great because you get to really get involved with something new, and you get to throw your hat in the ring and just say, hey, if I get in this early and I'm an early adopter of this, what could the future hold for me? Mm -hmm. What kind of jobs could I go out and get down the line? And this is truly embodying that idea. And that we hit on this in the FYC all the time, but the job that you might have someday did not exist when you were born. Mm-hmm. When I was born, there was no such thing as blockchain. There was no such thing as cryptocurrency. This is all something that has really occurred in the past 12 years. And we are really seeing it fully embodied here now in 2022 going forward as the world continues
1: to adapt and move towards more digitalized economy. What in the world is blockchain? Why do I need to know anything about it? Let me just tell you this. This is absolutely unfair to everybody else that I get to sit here with these amazing students every single day. And today is no different as I sit down with Adam Swab and Brian Kennedy, both freshmen here at the Farmer School of Business in the first year integrated core, and talk about blockchain and Bitcoin and mining. This is conversation was amazing, so amazing that we just kept rolling. This is part one of a two-part episode in which I sit back, relax, ask a few questions, really hear these two, tell me about blockchain, their lives, what they've accomplished so far, and what they think is to come. Welcome to this episode of the First Year Integrated Core Podcast. Uh, somebody remind me. Actually, first, why don't you just both introduce yourself. Adam, go first.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'm Adam Swab. I'm a freshman finance major. And I got really into the blockchain space at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. So exploring all the different options and stuff that I could do while I was at home through those daily occurrences of you woke up, not much to do. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. And it was really just you, your computer, and your family. So, you know, I'd be going back and forth with my brothers and, uh, my mom and my dad and be like different things we play video games but then i got really interested into how the technology works in the blockchain space and the rest is history from there
1: you had time to do it and you're like hmm, i'll take advantage of this time that i can't do anything and learn blockchain 100 percent. wow i probably no in fact i did choose to instead play the video games yeah oh i, I yeah, did a
0: fair did bit too. of that too i
2: did, I did too. a fair <laughs> bit of that as well yeah <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Brian, tell us about yourself.
2: Uh, I'm Brian Kennedy. I'm a first year here at Miami University too. I want to go into marketing and like I just heard of blockchain through like the NFTs because NFTs started popping up here within like the last year or so and I was doing my research and there's always this talk about blockchain and yeah.
1: Nice. So somebody remind me. Actually, Brian, remind me how this conversation started.
2: Well, so I was asking you for a book. Yeah. And he, Adam came up and I don't, I don't even remember how, like, blockchain was said, but then me and you both got very intrigued by the conversation. We were just sitting there talking about it for, like, 10 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and then you're just like, all right, we need to continue this one other time. I'll be emailing you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
1: that's how these podcasts yeah. happen.
2: Yeah, it was very funny.
0: Because I think, too, we, we made the comment about um, your book company, and then how the data is aggregated, and you were talking about how you're scanning things into your system, uh-huh. and then we... we broke into the topic of blockchain, how that could be applied and systematically changed the system. And then here we are now.
1: Yeah. And so you also told a story about uh, mining while here on campus. You want to share that story?
0: Yeah. So going back to um, the beginning of the semester here, I had always had my mining farm back home back from 2019 going into 2020. And then obviously living in the dorms, we wanted to take advantage of the things that we had available to us. So we were exploring ways to get graphics cards, which are the computer elements that are needed to build these mining rigs. And we were thinking about it, we're thinking about it, they're obviously in very high demand because of the silicon shortage. And then we discovered that the micro center in Cincinnati, if you went on Saturday mornings and you were there right early in the morning, you could get these graphics cards, one per person, per household, per 30 days. So for about a, uh, a month and a half, every single Saturday, we drove down to that micro center with a big carload of our friends. We picked up graphics cards, brought them back, and we started actually building the mining rigs out of the dorm. And then we ran a few out of the dorm, transported them back to Cleveland, moved them to our secondary farm location. But it was this kind of fun process of just using the, what we were given here as far as the dorm goes to build these and then ship them back home and expand our operation.
1: So ever since you told me that story, I've thought about... Um, my friend JL, who was on the first season of the podcast and then left to run a Bitcoin mining operation in Texas, which I had mentioned to you. And he had told me about uh, the electricity that is necessary. And then I thought back to you running it out of the dorm. How in the world did you get away with that?
0: So as far as we knew, because we reviewed everything in the student handbook, there was no limitations (laughs) other than what was on the breakers as far as how much power you could use. And then we also asked the RAs, we're like, you know, you know, is this something that like is not allowed? And they said there's no rules against it. And then we figured, you know, people are running their other gaming computers, everything else on the electricity. So this is really no different other than the fundamental usage that it's outputting as far as the mining operations and then the yield it's farming. So we just operated there. And then what we would do is every time we went back home or whatever, we transport it back to our central mining facility and then just keep building more in a revolving cycle.
1: How many systems, what's the right terminology for for one of those units? What do we call those?
0: Yeah, so each of those units, we refer to them as a rig. So kind of like a mining rig. So we call them mining rigs or a rig. And basically all it is on a fundamental level is a basic computer that can run Windows, it can run whatever you want, but it's built for one specific purpose. And that specific purpose is to mine these algorithms and basically compute these very, very, very complicated math problems and then output a successful solution back to the network.
1: And how many of these rigs were you running in a dorm environment? So
0: we had two of them in the dorm at one point. That's not a
1: like, lot, right? I mean, they're running 24-7, right? Yeah,
0: they're running 24-7. But the, the catch is, so on one rig, you can have many graphics cards. Okay. So on the one rig, we had, I think, eight graphics cards oh and then another God. two. So we were running about 13 graphics cards back at the dorm. And then obviously, these put out a lot of heat because of the power draw. I was just so, asked Yeah, so that. it got back into um, November going into December, and we would have our windows open just because it was pumping out so much heat. <laughs> So we like to think we were saving the university a little bit on fire with the power draw
2: and then the heating bill. But, you know,
1: you were given back. Look yes, that. we were. That's amazing. Yes, we were. Brian, you wanted to buy some of those graphics cards. Yeah, I did. What for?
2: Uh, I have a gaming computer that I built actually during quarantine, probably around the same time that you started mm-hmm. getting the blockchain. And I just got like a little like it was like eight hundred fifty bucks of my money or whatever. And I was like, all right, within these next years, I'm going to like upgrade it. And then everything for the PC market just went up. And the graphics cards were always selling out. And I didn't really want to pay, overpay for a graphics card. But you're the people that are taking over. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Supply and demand. Yeah. It's I mean, your
1: fir- first economics lesson at Farmer yeah. School Business. hundred <laughs> percent.
0: And I mean, even going back to when we first initially got involved, when I got involved in my personal level, before even I had the company, when we bought these back in 2019, this was all pre-shortage. So yeah. we could get these units exceptionally cheap we were doing the math as we were figuring this out and planning out our models. We were like realizing that you could get basically a 120-day return on your initial investment, which was absurd. You could not get that doing anything else. So during that phase, we were accumulating these as fast as you can. I mean, I had on the daily just boxes and boxes of these units showing up at my house, and we would spend all weekends building them with my friend. And then essentially it grew to the point where we were producing so much heat at my own farm at my house where I had a heating problem. And I was like, you know, how do I encapsulate this heat and then use it for good? So this was going into the winter of 2019, right? As everything was ramping up with the pandemic. And I was like, I wonder if I could take this heat and then heat my house with it. So I looked up online, I was looking up different solutions. You know, it came up to like HVAC systems and different enclosures, inline like duct fans, a bunch of stuff that I had no knowledge of as I was never into HVAC or I don't have any family members in it. But I came across, you could buy these like indoor grow tents that were used for gardening. So I guess people would grow their um, flowers and other, and other things. Herbs, these, Yes, yeah. their herbs and their other, the other things they would grow indoors with these uh, these grow tents. But they were really good for because of one reason, and that's because they were insulated. So I thought if I put all my units inside this thing, I can insulate, trap the heat, and then direct it exactly where I want it to go. So I build this thing, I set it up, and I start it. And I, I'm like waiting for that first natural gas bill to come back because I'm like, is this having a really big effect on my house? You know, we the heat into the ducts. How, what effect is this going to have? We get the first natural gas bill and we drop it by 80%. Wow. Uh, so the, the mining rigs were obviously drawing a lot more electricity. So we were paying a high electric bill. But we saved our natural gas bill almost 80% because the heat they were kicking off alone was basically heating our house. So it was that interesting paradigm of, yes, we solved one problem. Is we, I was now making money from this mining operation. I was securing the blockchain network. But then also I was able to do another thing just with this problem. How could I take this heat and how could I transform that into another solution? And that's exactly where the heating problem came from. And still to this day, it's in my house right back now in Cleveland.
1: Wow. Is uh, Is it complicated to get involved in mining?
0: Yeah, so it, it's it's a varying scale. If you want to do it on a small side, say just with like a traditional gaming computer or just a, a high-performance machine, you can do it relatively easily. There's a number of platforms online that you could simply download and basically click start, and you can start mining with that. Now, to do it at scale, that's when the um, barriers to entry come in because you also have to understand coding languages like Linux, how to operate command line terminals, how to build these things on a large scale, all kinds of troubleshooting issues, and then ultimately how to deal with heat and power consumption issues. So now for the, for the company that I have with my partner, we have a rental unit where all that rental unit does is devoted simply to operating this farm. So it's back in uh, North Royalton back home. We don't have the heat on in there at all. And it's about 80 degrees just because of all these units kicking off all this heat. And we have about 100 amps that is being drawn just for mining. And that would specifically usually sustain a normal home. But that's all just going straight to these mining rigs. So once you start building out of skill, you run into power issues, you run into heating issues, and you ultimately run into maintaining issues.
1: That's crazy. So one of the places where I keep uh, probably 30% of the books is also a rental house. Yeah. And I just got the heating bill because you can't turn off the heat Mm -hmm. in the winter, especially here. And it was like 350 bucks. It's an older house. It's a bigger house. So that's why I rent it. But man, if I could just, if I could find a way to flip that. Yep. It sounds like you have the solution. I was to
2: say, it seems like you need some uh, mining rigs in there.
1: I've got an Alienware PC that I had to buy for one of these VR headsets up here because mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't learn enough about it before I bought it Yep, um, that really just sits there because now these Oculus headsets don't need that. Yep, they so, run independently. Yeah. and, and I-
0: So that could be a possible solution to your problem. Because yeah. if you have a number of these, and obviously there would be an initial investment associated with that, but if you were to do that, you could one be um, turning a yield from the money that they would be making, while also solving your heating problem and heating the place without paying a natural gas bill or whatever method it is using to heat that.
1: That's amazing. See, that's why I love to hang out with guys like you. Like we <laughs> we talk about this stuff, and you help me solve problems, right? That's yeah. that's my own personal take on on this sort of thing. Brian, what do you know about blockchain?
2: Blockchain? It's not very much. I know it does something with the algorithm and like with like NFT wise that it gives a like an individual code to like lock that first jpeg image to where like no one else could like technically like replicate it and that's like kind of about it like i don't know much more with it
1: tell us about NFTs since that was your interest in well, learning about blockchain so, like
2: all over social media everyone's talking about nfts and like how much money like you can make from it so like I was like, well, why would I not try that? I'm like, I'm a dumb college student. I might as well just try to buy one. <laughs> but I'm like, ugh, I need to do my research first. I can't just like go on OpenSea, which is the website, like the one of the main websites where most people buy NFTs from. And I started doing like my research from it, and like on TikTok, my uh, For You page is always like selling me like videos to watch. So I was like watching these videos and the one was like blockchain and this, and like another one was saying, like, you gotta watch this video about the blockchain. I was like, What is a blockchain? Like I need to like kinda understand this, I guess, but I didn't get too much of an understanding from it.
1: So the big thing right now with NFTs is art. Yes. Right. But there's a lot more uses that are being explored. In fact, one of the professors here at Farmer wrote an article not too long ago about anticipating the future uses of NFTs. As in, like, using them for business contracts. I'm not familiar with much beyond that. So
2: there's this one. It's called um, something Ape.
1: Board Ape. The Board Board Ape. Oh, yeah. Board
2: Ape Ape Ape. Yacht Club. Yeah. And, like, if you own that NFT, you will get invites to go to these yacht parties and other stuff. So, like, and there's NFTs going to video games now, which are, like, gun skins for, like, a game. And Mm -hmm. if you own that NFT, you'll have that gun skin in the game. And you could like trade it in the game. It's like an in-game currency and everything.
1: So are they essentially taking things that already kind of existed and then securing them as NFTs on the blockchain? Is that what's happening?
2: Yes. I would say the
0: NFT market has really generated an interesting environment for blockchain and for the cryptocurrency space as a whole. Because you have this whole new target market that is being really for the first time immersed into what is blockchain, how does it work, and then how can we use it to make the world a better place. So yes, NFTs have cultivated a really broad audience, I think from a lot from the standpoint of it's something that's really hip and cool right now. A lot of people are involved with it. You see a lot of celebrities now with like their Twitter handles and their Twitter profiles putting those NFTs on there. And then it's asking those questions, you know, what is this? Maybe people don't know about it before. But if you break it down to a fundamental level, yes, art is one component. And I believe that art, you know, might just be something that's a fad really in the short term. But if you look at the fundamental ability for it to grow in the future, I think there's a lot of innovation that can happen there. One uh, thing I really always like to discuss with NFTs is if you think about the idea of what an NFT is at its fundamental level, is it's essentially a way to prove that you own something or that you have a certificate for owning something on a distributed ledger. So no one can really dispute that you own that one thing because we can reference the blockchain that secures that data and says, yes, you own it. Here's your wallet address, which is essentially your way of signing your signature. And then that ties it to your name. So if you use this in applications out there in the real world, people think real estate. They say, okay, you know, you have your home titles that get passed around. When you sell someone a house, you have to transfer title, you have to, have to do a bunch of different things that are done on paperwork. What if we move that on a blockchain and use an NFT application to simplify that process? Essentially, that would remove all these like banking third steps, mm-hmm. all the third steps as far as government regulation. And then I could sell you a house and all I would have to do is complete one blockchain transaction and then no one could dispute that that happened. Another thing, everyone hates going to the DMV, right? To get, you know, your title updated, car titles, or small home titles, you know, if you have to renew your license. But let's say I wanted to sell you a car. I could take out the middleman of the DMV and I could directly transfer this to you on a a blockchain. It's a distributed ledger. We know I transferred it to you because no one can dispute that because it's been confirmed by things like the miners, by these consensus algorithms that confirm this data. And then that removes all the third parties that have to be involved making it a clear peer-to-peer transaction and removing any ambiguity about, you know, was this car stolen? How did you attain this car? Where did it come from? Because you have a clear chain of custody from the day this thing rolled off the factory floor to now here it is in front of you right now.
2: That is insane.
0: So while, yes, art is a big factor and it's a very prominent factor right now, I'd like to look at it as, you know, how can this change the world in the future? What are the different applications that we can apply this to, to affect things like supply chain management, data alteration? cybersecurity, all this different stuff that can really be changed and elemented through the blockchain.
1: What do you think is the next piece of that puzzle? Like, it, it probably is very much a fad with art and crypto punks and putting them you know, on your social media channels, mm-hmm. but what do you think is that next tangible piece, which is funny to say since blockchain mm-hmm. is intangible. It's not tangible. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what is the next area that, that's gonna catch on with blockchain?
0: Yeah, so one thing that I think is really interesting is you see some of these NFTs that are starting to have real-world implications. So, like, the Bordet Yacht Club was one of the first true ones to do this, where, yes, they are hurt, but also by owning this, it almost gives you the right to attend some of these events. Like what Brian said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it gives you the right to attend some of these yacht parties. I think that's going to be a really big thing. I know um, Saucy Brew Works back in Cleveland, actually with the uh, Miami Business Consulting, I'm working with a project on there right now, they're launching an NFT collection that will have a hundred limited edition Saucy Brew NFTs. But this NFT not only gives you a piece of memorabilia from their brewery, but it's also going to give you the right to go to their brewery. And if you have an NFT, you get one free draft beer a day. So you see more and more of these companies that are realizing, yes, this is a marketing tool we can use because of its widespread you know, knowledge. People are getting involved with it. It's cool. But then also, once you have real-world utility tied in with these things, it gives them a new value proposition and a greater heightened value down the road. So you, maybe you see then these people buying these as, hey, I can use this as an investment tool. If I buy this now in 20 years, they're still saying they're going to honor this. I can still use this for 20 years and more than get my money out of this, plus have this cool piece of art. Other applications I know is there's this was thing called the Lynx DAO. So essentially, the Lynx DAO, what they're trying to do is they're selling a 10,000 piece NFT collection. And if you own this NFT, they're going to build a series of golf courses where you'll be able to travel around the company. And if as a holder of this NFT, that will give you the right to go and play it for free. Now, other people can still go and play at this, but you're going to have to pay money. And then the people who pay money that aren't a member of this NFT collection, that money is going to, number one, go to maintaining the golf courses, maintain the facilities. But that's also going to be received, received in a royalty back to the people who already own the NFT. So you see it almost transforming into a different way to transact money and to automate payment processes. If I know that I can invest in something and it's not just some wishy-washy, oh, I might, I might get a return on this or I might see some money back. If I know for a fact that, say, someone goes there and participates in a round of golf and there's a transaction that occurs, I'm contractually obligated by the code, which no one can alter, to receive a kickback from that. So it's just some of these real-world examples where I think it's really going to ultimately come to how is the utility adapting in the space And then how do we see it changing as far as people go with, yeah, maybe it's not art anymore, but maybe it's, we can do other things like marketing campaigns, things like that.
1: Do you think that, uh, that we'll continue to see the value of NFTs appreciate even in those new applications probably not as dramatically as we've seen with art, but, uh, having an NFT for the brewery that you're talking about one draft beer a day, memorabilia, You can still transfer those to new people and sell those to new people, right? 100%. So with inflation and pricing just naturally growing, I guess the value would go up. But is there exclusivity that's built into the 10,000 NFT collection with that golf course? Or is there risk that if I buy into it um, and it's worth a certain amount, they can still issue 10,000 more? and then deplete the value of my NFT. Is that, is that a thought when these companies put these in place?
0: Yeah, 100%. So I, I think what you're getting at is more so like the inflation idea, where say there's a 10,000 collection and then they just issue 10,000 more. That makes my one of that 10,000 first collection just inherently less valuable. So the nice thing about the blockchain, another issue that cryptocurrency in general aims to solve is the issue of inflation. So with the code, when they, when they launch these things on what's called the mainnet, which basically means it's signed, it's signatured, it's delivered, no one can change it at that point, everyone can go and independently review the terms of basically what this contract says. So if it says there's 10,000 and it says that's it, it's done. It's a done deal. You cannot edit it because it's on mainnet. And that is secured by then all the validators who are confirming this and aggregating it on the blockchain. So when something is launched on mainnet, you cannot change it. Now, say if a company wanted to release another sister collection or Mm -hmm. something like that, or maybe do 10,000 more, they could do that, but it wouldn't affect the inherent value of the first one because it would either have to be a clone replica and they would say that, or it would be something with a different utility. Maybe it was a different set of golf courses that they would do with that example or something else. So you could have issues like that, but as far as one collection, they couldn't just add more to it at the back end. Once the collection is launched and set, that number is a finite number and it cannot change.
1: Gotcha. It's just generally accepted that you cannot change it because it's on the blockchain. Yep. And it is what it is, no editing involved.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can make edits with things like, you know, different versions that can launch, but you can't change the original code fundamentally. So if there's a capped lock, say 10,000, that's it. You can't exceed that. One example that most people are familiar with is Bitcoin. So there's 21 million Bitcoin. That's the max supply. That supply is going to be reached in roughly about 100 years when all these Bitcoins are mined. There's nothing that anybody can do to go and change that max supply. We can't mint more. We can't get more from like a a secret treasury or something. The Federal Reserve can't come out and say, hey, we're going to make more of these in existence and inflate them. 21 million is the line. That's the cap supply. So it's that kind of idea where it's contractually obligated to stay at that max supply and no one can do anything about that to either change or manipulate that.
1: As I told you from the beginning, this conversation was too good to stop. So we didn't. We kept going. As we continue the conversation, we talk about the future uses of blockchain as we understand it now and maybe how it might be involved in our lives even more. Stay tuned. Join us again in the next episode of the First Year Integrated Core podcast when we continue our conversation with Adam and Brian. To make sure you're notified when it's published, hit that subscribe button. Be like thousands, no, millions of others who listen to the FYSE podcast every single day. Have a great day.